1: T.L. Talk Radio, Season 7, Episode 18. Welcome to Season 7, Episode 18 of T.L. Talk Radio. I'm Lynn Funy-Hetton.
2: And I'm Randy Zickenfoos. Today, in this episode, we're speaking with Dewey Rossetti, author of Parenting Bright Kids Who Struggle in School. The book, Parenting Bright Kids Who Struggle in School, guides parents through the challenging and often unfamiliar landscape of raising kids who've been labeled with learning differences such as dyslexia, ADHD, autism, sensory processing disorder, and more. Dewey is an author, speaker, consultant, and founder and president of Parents Education Network.
1: So, Welcome to our podcast,
3: Dewey. Thank you so much. It's
1: nice to meet both of you, and thank you for having me. Our pleasure. So let's uh, kick off our conversation today with a personal story about how you became interested in the topic of bright kids who struggle in school.
3: Well, uh, that's a long story, so I will <laughs> summarize as best I can. Uh, originally, I did read it. Doc- <laughs> you do I read did it, read so- the
1: story when we were researching you. So, so you, know,
3: you, know, uh, you know how long it takes to get through this, and it's pretty emotional, <laughs> but I'm going to cut it way down. Okay. Uh, my daughter, Melissa, is the subject, actually, of the first two chapters of my book, and that explains how I got into it. And I wasn't looking for an interest in, in this field, I didn't know anything about it, uh, as most parents. Uh, I think I have a very typical experience. Uh, that I explained. But originally, Melissa came home. uh, She had been queen of the kindergarten class because she is very athletic and very strong and big personality uh, when she was little. And uh, all of a sudden, I sent her to the private girls' school where my older daughter was. And she came home the second week of kindergarten. uh, And Sobbed, fell apart, which was never her style. And she said, um, "I can't sound it out. All of the girls in the school in the class can sound it out, and I can't." And of course, if I if it were now, I would have snatched her right out of the class <laughs> and said, "Okay, we're going to look into this and figure out what else is wrong." But of course, back then, she's thirty years old now, so that was a long time ago. That was kind of the start of a long journey for me. Uh, to figure out, A, why she couldn't sound it out and what that actually meant, and B, uh, it was really made much worse by the fact that her emotional uh, stability really went away during that period when I was trying to explore. And so we kept her in that school, uh, and this is where I wear my hair shirt. Uh, We kept her in that school for four years, and she didn't learn to read from kindergarten uh, through third grade. And that's when her personality fell apart. So I got pulled into the social-emotional understanding of what happens to kids when they struggle. And um, I was not prepared, and our family was not prepared. But uh, the silver lining was when we found the right school for her, which was a school for kids with dyslexia, um, it benefited the whole family. I became immersed in the school. It's about uh, an hour from San Francisco. And we drove down every day and drove back and we became very close, my daughter and I, and I got to understand who she was. Uh, But more importantly, she learned to read and she blossomed. She was there five years and I blossomed. I developed not just an interest, but a passion in neurodiversity to use the larger term. And I learned so much. Uh, I didn't know anything about dyslexia, ADD, any of these differences. And I had no idea how gifted these kids could be. So it was my education, and that's where my passion began at that school, which is called the Charles Armstrong School.
2: So your personal story and your background really lays the context uh, for your experiences, uh, and you're writing this book around learning challenges. So on your website, we noticed a... uh, some words, at least one in five people in the United States has learning challenges. So from your perspective, why is that? Uh, why is that that kids who learn differently and parents of kids who learn differently often feel so alone?
3: The reason they do is because of the stigma. There is still a stigma and there is hmm. an enormous uh, misunderstanding of what it means to have a different kind of brain. And I always say, do you think Chuck Schwab is less intelligent than... Someone else, or do you think uh, Steve Jobs suffered from you know lack of cognition? I mean, that's where the breakdown is with uh, uh, people understanding about differences in learning. They actually just assume. And I did too. I mean, I Kara, uh, Melissa is adopted, and i uh, I always thought I thought in the beginning, maybe she's not actually bright enough to do a certain kind of school maybe and of course i couldn't have been more wrong and thank god i didn't assume that but um very high cognition often accompanies this kind of different brain it's just different and they need different kind of teaching but that's why they're isolated people don't understand them they're different they need different kinds of education and different kinds of curriculum and uh it's oh, it's so isolating because people just assume all kinds of things. They have weird personalities, they're antisocial, they're this and that, and uh, that's where the isolation comes from. And also, so, oftentimes bad behavior, because when you feel disenfranchised as a young kid, and especially as a teenager, if it all hits you later uh, when you're in middle school and high school. I mean, you could get into really bad behavior, which is very difficult to manage and undo.
1: Yeah, that's once you sort of live those bad behaviors and create that, the opportunity for those uh, behaviors to occur and continue, it does become difficult, right?
3: Oh, it becomes overwhelming. Mm -hmm. And you you really, I mean, the place that people go, I believe, is to their parenting. And they think Mm -hmm. they've done something wrong. Yeah. I mean, I had a parent, I, I still, am, you know, as active as I can be with this virus, I'm still talking to a lot of parents. And I had one say to me, she wondered if her dyslexic daughter was dyslexic. She had twins and one was dyslexic and one not? And she said she wondered if it had to do with the fact that she used in uh fertilization to get oh my goodness! Oh, please. I mean, you just look everywhere for to blame, you know, blame, blame, because this kid is struggling. It's very, you know. I don't have to say how hard it is to watch your child struggle like that. Mm -hmm. And the social emotional fallout, um, that occurs, which is extremely well explained in my book, because that's, that was the hardest part of it for us was four years of, as I said before, my daughter, Melissa, um, falling apart and becoming a very different kind of child. And she didn't really get back to her, her real personality, which is delightful, um, until she started to learn down at the Mm -hmm. Charles Armstrong School. And I would say it was the seventh grade. So that was what, you know, four years of not being herself.
1: So let's jump back into the book. How does this book
3: support parents? In a different way from all the books out there. And that was my, uh, my mission was I had met Todd Rose along the way. And he has a very different way of looking at individual as kids as an individual and I started to that's when my parenting changed I think and I I started to understand that Melissa should not be compared no child should be compared to others and our system which we're very unaware of unless our kids don't fit into it uh our system requires a ranking according of all the kids in the class who are supposed to learn in this very tight way that's compared to an average kid. And the average kid doesn't exist, of course. So Todd proves that in his work and in his books. And when I met him and realized that we parents are missing a tool, which is how do I look at and judge my child's pro- progress according to his or her potential? and. Um, the book that he, where he explains this is called The End of Average. And mm-hmm. I encourage We're parents. We're familiar, yes. <laughs> yes. You, oh, well, because you know of John Rose. I, I think he is a gift to this community. And when I started to work with him, I actually couldn't go back to the way I had been thinking about her, which was she's just one of a small minority of kids who are better. That's how, you know, that's really how it is presented to you when you have a child who learns differently, 80% of the class you are told, or most of the kids, sometimes schools exaggerate and say, oh, she's one of only ten, you know, two or three uh, who are with the curriculum the way we're supposed to. Well, we know that's not true. We know it's probably one out of uh, five in every population who is learning differently, but we're not given a way to look at uh, the child until Todd came along and talked about the science of the individual. And he gave me permission after I had worked with him for quite a while in Penn, the organization that I started, had worked with him um, for quite a while. He gave me permission to write about his science of the individual for the parent audience, because the book, The End of Average, has a lot of science in it. And it's not above anybody's head, but it might not be what you want to read when you're struggling with your child and you're very mm-hmm. emotional. So my book is kind of a layperson's understanding of where education is uh, wrong about how to deal with kids who think differently and how you can support them as a parent. And it introduces uh, the science of the individual and in addition, I just think it's a very hopeful book. A lot of people get kind of think it's the end of the road for their kids academically when they get a diagnosis, which is, you know, a very negative way to look at neurodiversity. It's just that your kid is different and learns differently. So I try to explain in a hopeful way that, you know, calm down, don't take this the way it's given to you. Look at it in a more positive way. And here's some science to back up uh, your understanding of how your kid learns, and that's how I am trying to support parents. Uh, it's a short book on purpose because nobody wants to read a tome when they're in the middle of an emotional experience like they've been thrown, you know, this curve for their child's education. And it, I think it's uh, it gives I give a lot of examples in it of all the successful people. And I said before Chuck, Chuck Schwab. I mean, who's going to say that this man um, there's something wrong with him? He had, of course, he had struggles in school, and thank God he came out and talked about them. So you can you can get on the internet now, which is very different from when I was uh, raising Melissa, and you can see you can t- listen to these wonderful people explain how hard it was for them at school, and you can identify, and more importantly, I think. Tell your kids. Say, look at this guy. We did that actually with Melissa because we knew uh, my husband knew Chuck uh, knows Chuck Schwab, and he said to her, you know, here's here's Chuck Schwab, my friend. He learns differently, and he was on the cover of Fortune magazine as a 15 year old. Uh, it was an or- article about dyslexia, and those kinds of things can get you through this. Plus, your child's strengths. How to figure out your child's what we call jagged profile. And it gives them a lot of empowerment uh, over, and you, uh, empowerment. And you look at at your child's strengths and you feel not overwhelmed by the negative language that comes along with uh, what they call a diagnosis, which I think is a very bad start to the whole thing, to say it's a diagnosis. It's, It's not a medical problem. It is something that can be dealt with actually easier and easier now that different kinds of schools are coming up mm-hmm.
2: so we love that connection to todd rose's work and it's definitely a framework or a way of thinking that helps us to better understand those with learning challenges and you mentioned the jagged profile so dig a, dig a little deeper into that dewey how how can parents take this concept of the jagged profile and better understand their special learners
3: So the jacket profile is one of three concepts of the science of the individual. And I think it's the most important one. And the concept says, the principle says that everyone, each person has a profile of strengths and weaknesses, challenges, whatever word you want to use. Everyone has strengths. Therefore, it doesn't matter if your cognition is, what they call average, you know, IQ is measured with one number, which in and of itself is very uh, strange and not very helpful uh, and doesn't mean very much. Uh, And it is measured in one day or two days on a test. So this is a very robust way to look at your child's personality and skills and things that you can develop in them strengths and weaknesses. And if you look at, my book has an example of what this might look like if you've graphed it. And it is very comforting to look at, for example, what your teachers are telling you about your child and then graph it. Where are the strengths? Where are the breakdowns? And so you, uh, you get to know your child with regard to, you know, with respect to who he or she is and what their basic abilities are. And more importantly, they get to understand where their breakdowns are and how they can use their strengths to work around them. It is a very robust concept and one that I think is so important for parents to start to use. I would love to change all the language in these uh, conferences and say, here's your child's uh, basic profile because it doesn't have any judgment in it. It's not oh, this is where your child can't do the work and has Mm -hmm. to be remediated. It immediately gives you an impression that this child is a complex person, which they all are, we all are. And here here are the things you should focus on, which is another change that you can use. Don't focus on the bad stuff, on the stuff that's hard uh, for that child. Focus on the things that make life easier and then use that. And so use that to uh, scaffold the things that are
1: hard more of a stress that's the first
3: concept and i go on about it because it is i think it is it it, it could change everything in schools if we use this kind of language and that's really what uh, or and certainly at home it is wonderful uh for a child to grow up thinking i'm very complex and this is this is who i am instead of saying i can't you know i'm not a person who can read i'm a bad person i mean and i'm not smart so but the other two concepts complement that and really are entangled with it, which is the second one that I think is very important as well, and we miss it a lot in looking at kids' strengths, is that context matters way more than we realize. And the example that Todd uses in his work is, you know, a pitcher who, I mean, sports are easy, I think, for a a lot of kids, too, uh, for analogies. A pitcher looks at a ballpark and says, this kind of ballpark is much better for the curveball that I do because of the wind and the, the way I can use the wall that's closer to, you know, the, all the dynamics of a physical space uh, work better for my kind of pitching than, you know, another ballpark, for example. So that's a physical difference. But if I like to speak, for example, to a smaller group like 50 parents than I do an auditorium, that me- it says to me, I should just accept speaking assignments when I get to do one again with people uh, after the pandemic. Uh, I should accept speaking assignments that actually um, have the small groups where I can make a connection. And it makes my life easier. Uh, So I hope I'm explaining how robust this whole uh, way of looking at people is and how helpful it would be to your child to observe and say, you know, this is a better context for you when you're trying to do this or that. You need a quiet room to take a test. There's nothing wrong with that. Let's ask for it. So and that's context. And then the third is pathways. And one of the things we are so that's so ingrained, I think, in our way of looking at education, and it is so daunting, is that there's only one way to be successful. You have to do well at school. You have to do well at every subject. You have to do well uh, with your friends. You have to actually be this Renaissance person who can do it all, but then you have to be better than everyone else. So uh, it's just such, once you understand uh, Todd's thinking and the science behind it, you realize that this is, this is impossible and it doesn't make any sense. So, you know, If you tell your child what their profile is, if you make them comfortable with it and give them control over what pathways they take and which kinds of things they want to pursue that have to do with their strengths and interests, how much better is that? It seems to me it just makes perfect sense. And well, that, is I a great,
1: that is a great uh, spot to jump in. <laughs> um, it absolutely makes perfect sense. And um, it's interesting to hear your connections and especially to Todd Todd's work. Uh, Randy and I have both appreciated that work over the over the course of our careers. And uh, that book was a game changer. So before we invite you to share what's next for you. Um, Are you ready for our rapid response questions? And the purpose of these questions is to find some more resources for our listeners so that they have uh, some more rabbit holes to jump down and learn more things about. Are you ready? I'm ready. All right, excellent Dewey, here we go. First question, who's one expert our listeners should connect with to learn more about how parents can support their struggling learners?
3: If you really want practical ways of looking at your child and understanding and being hopeful about your child. I think the most important person uh, to consult with, you know, that he has a lot of books. He has now so many YouTubes and uh, TED Talks and so forth is uh, a man named Ned Hallowell out of Harvard. And uh, he announced to all of us recently that he has turned 70. So he's been in the (laughs) field a long time and he is the most delightful speaker. And if you could ever get close to a place where he's speaking, you shouldn't miss him.
1: All right. Excellent. We'll check that out. And we'll link to Ned in some of his resources in our show notes for our listeners. And next question. If you're recommending one book to our listeners,
3: what would it be? I'm not this person normally, but in all humility, I would say for the very first book uh, that you pick up when you hear the words, your child is not learning like the others, I would say mine might take some anxiety away. Uh, Besides that, I do think that um, there are two people who write about uh, learning differences or being different in a more general way. And I'm really for that. I'm for the general understanding of where does my child fit in in the world. Uh, there uh, There is a set of books by Sam Goldstein and Dr. Bob Brooks uh, and they're both out of Harvard as well. And they are, uh, once again, on the older side, they've been in the field a long time. I think for specifics about dyslexia and ADHD, you, uh, people would want to read David Flink.
1: All book. right, excellent. We will add all of those great suggestions to our show notes for our listeners. Uh, last
3: question.
1: What online site or resource do you learn from regularly?
3: There's a site called understood.org
1: understood.org. Excellent. We will link that into the show notes as well.
2: All right, Dewey. So thanks so much for being here before we wrap up our conversation. What's on your radar? What's coming up that you'd like to share with our listeners?
3: I would like people to re- encourage people to write to me, uh, on email. Uh, if they are interested in starting a conversation again, um, because I my interest never wanes, and the more I hear from parents who need answers or who are struggling or who have found wonderful solutions, uh, the more fired up I get and uh, more interested again. What I have learned in the short time since my book has been published and when I've been talking to others is that there is still a need for the organization that we started and we actually gave to another larger organization about five years ago. And people say there is a uh, void in giving the kind of information that we gave for parents and faculties and so forth by having speakers. And maybe it would have a different format now, but I think there is room for an organization that we had called Parents Education Network, PEN, to help parents and support them. Uh, And I think the difference would be this time that it would be run and organized and started, and we have a very different form, I know, by the young people that we saw grow up and talk about in our organization, talk about their differences and become very successful adults. And I know several here in the Bay Area, I would love to reach out across the country and say, let's do it on Zoom. And let's find some people, young people interested in sharing their story and helping other, other people young people who are struggling uh, in school and tell them that it's going to be okay and tell them how it's going to be okay. I just think that would be so empowering for everyone. Yeah, I'd love to see that.
2: Building networks. Well, we'll see if uh, right. we get any takers from your podcast with us today. <laughs> so it's been great and having I'd you be here. i
1: thrilled if you did. Thank you so much. <laughs> Thank you so much for joining us today, Dewey. We've listed uh, many of those resources in the show notes as well as Dewey's gmail address so you can connect with her directly each episode we leave you with a question to think about with the idea of provoking reflection and conversation this episode's question how can we better understand all of our learners strengths and needs if you've enjoyed this episode would like to comment or check out the resources shared today visit the show notes at tltalkradio.org and look for episode 18 in season seven. That's all for this episode. We'll be back next week with another conversation featuring other innovative thought leaders. Thanks again, Dewey. Bye-bye. Thank you so much. Thank Bye-bye. You. Bye-bye.